You're listening to Rebel Radio. Do dope shit. Yeah, we got to kind of meet them where you're at. Or meet them where they're at. So it's like you can't be too... You're good. Like, you can't be too fitness about it. No. Right? Which is, like, why I think all this stuff works. Because it's, like... I don't want to say, like, lowers the barrier of entry, but it, like... It softens it. It makes yeah. it more, like, appealing. Yeah. If, like, you walk into this place and it's like, oh, this looks like, I don't know, East Saint Laurent, or this looks like whatever. It's like, it's not, doesn't look like a gym, yeah. first and foremost. There's, like, a talking point that's not, like, a bunch of half-naked dudes on the wall. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Well, I mean, like, I fuck with that, and I'm 15 years in the game. Like, why wouldn't anybody else want to fuck with that? Yeah. And that's the thing. You only want to fuck with people who will fuck with that. Yeah. Right? Like, the guys who want to come in and see the pictures of, like... Charles Glass or whatever is like well this is probably not going to be your vibe anyway I'm not I'm not the coach for them if right, they want yeah, that right like yeah. I'm not I'm not the bodybuilding guy right yeah. so um, whatever yeah dude I had a, a uh, an assessment yesterday like, he's 36 we did a table test dude his joints did not move oh. at all like no internal external rotation of the hips nothing here I had him go through some movement stuff his squat perfect interesting his single leg RDL perfect his push-ups perfect i'm like the fuck but passively nothing passively nothing so i'm like all right we're just gonna do the thing yeah good thing working out doesn't happen on a table yeah so i've always wondered like the integration of that into fitness like as like a guiding principle like because i know so many people that wouldn't load that guy yeah because the passive range of motion wasn't there on a table unloaded face up with someone else moving him it's like wow i don't know a single exercise that would emulate that because it's not exercising when someone else is moving right um, but like, yeah, dude, like his squat was unrestricted as to grass. I'm like, any pain? He's like, no. He's got sciatic on both. I'm like, any pain? He's like, no. Great. This is what we do then. Yeah. I'm like, we're just going to load this. Why make it more complicated than it has to be? Yeah. And like one thing I'm learning right now is I'm trying to train clients with like the least amount of effort to get them where they want to be. Yeah. Like, yeah, effort in terms of like load and shit, but like without having to make it convoluted and all that other shit. Yeah. And I think it goes to the brand thing again right like there's a place for that it's the same place that you know relies heavily on table tests and all of this like ethereal stuff that probably doesn't matter but i think to a certain point if a client buys into it it's like well great then they'll Mm -hmm. get where they want to go as fast as they want to get there and like they people self-select for coaches and gyms and trainers and whatever just based off of like i mean really it's just buy-in that's all it's ever been yeah it's just buy-in is now coming in the way of like, you know, branding is going to be or is the preeminent factor that dictates buy-in. It's going to have to now, man, especially when social media is driving the whole force of it. Yeah. Brand's going to be number one, I yeah. think. And you got to position yourself as whatever it is you want to position yourself as. Yeah, which sounds, it's funny because like that's the most profound thing that you could say, but it's so, I don't want to say it's so simple, but it's like, it is just that. Like, if you think about what that statement means, that's it. And it makes better sense. Or it, and it actually means more if you can be it without having to change who you are. Well, yeah, I think the brand, like the brand should just be a conduit, right? Like the brand should just be like, okay, this is who I am. And I guess the difficult part is how to express that with wallpaper, and spray paint and like pictures on the wall like most people can have a good grasp of like their training ideals or yeah. ideologies yeah but it's having a, it's it, it's 
it's a it's a method of communication that most people i wouldn't say most people but i think it might be like a generational thing or like maybe a personality type thing but you know i know people that are really good at expressing through like a written word Mm -hmm. i know people that are really good at expressing verbally that like you ask them to write something it's like oh i can't but like you get them to explain it's like oh this person understands this right and we saw this with like standardized tests when we were kids like i know really smart people that get to like the EQAO literature yeah, test like through grade nine like or whatever it was grade that it's like I think our, our friend's getting held back a grade. You're like, what? This guy's brilliant. He's like, he, what? He couldn't write like an essay on full scap or whatever the fuck. It's like, well, that has nothing to do with intelligence. Yeah. It's just a, it's just not the right conduit. And I think a lot of people have a hard time like Rosetta stoning their personality into the outward face of a brand mm-hmm. where it's like it's training ideologies and personality are not the same thing. Sometimes they are. Like sometimes the very like calculated nerdy guy is also like everything's percentage based mm-hmm. and we're going to do all these equations and this beautiful mind shit. But sometimes it's not. And I think the the disconnect is being able to understand, like superimpose your training ideals, ideologies, thought processes, systems with your own sensibilities, ideologies, morality, whatever and then put that together and paint it. Yeah. Right? Like, that's a pretty difficult it's thing. It's difficult, man, because, like, just like communi- like most communication is nonverbal, mm. I also think communication is also nonverbal in the sense of, like, like visual. And right. we talk about it all the time, like, like we're visual creatures, right? Yeah. And, like, yes, like, I can look at you with the way you're standing, and I know if you're going to fuck me up or if you're going to be my friend. Right. Right? So, like, I think branding in that type of sense as well, it's like, if I can just see it, I'll know what it's about. Yeah. And that to me is like I won at the branding game. It's like if I can see exactly what it is that you're trying to convey through an image, gold. And that should be – it's funny because people fight against that idea of like don't judge a book by its cover. It's like maybe your cover is wrong. Dude, all day, right. man. Look at all the books that I have here. Like, yeah. I judge all these books I bought because of the cover. They're sick. For the most part. Yeah. Well, it's like, how, what other, how is it going to differentiate from any other book on the shelf? It's like, how are you going to differentiate from any other social media account? How are you going to differentiate from any other gym on the block? It's like, that is, will always be like the, the, the signal to people about what you're about. Yeah. It's difficult. It's definitely, and I think it's probably difficult more so for the type of person that gets into fitness as a career, right? Like, I, I think there's a clashing personality type of someone who gets into fitness and someone who can also communicate through that vehicle of, of branding and marketing, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's why this is so unique is like, because it's your ability to do that is unique and also give a shit about someone squatting and their hip internal rotation. Yeah, like so it's funny. Like you mentioned like percentages and nerdy shit. I coach with percentages with my clients and I'm teaching like six-year-old people how to use 65% of their squat. Right. But I make it so simple and unique and easy that they're like, oh, this is easy. Yeah. And it's, 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 like, it's like paint by number for them. So mm. it's like how can I create all this jargon of science and fitness and make it like a paint by number? Because yeah. sci- training isn't that hard. No. Like, you just got to fucking follow it. Yeah. You follow the paint by numbers and you'll get that end result. It's just that we're humans and we have behavior issues, right? But, like, it's not that complicated unless you make it complicated. And you don't need to make it complicated, I don't think. I don't think so. It's just really what the the hard part is, is understanding the the things you need to do to just drive that consistency. 
And some people will show up just because it's a cool place to show up, mm-hmm. right? Like on days where, which is probably most days for most of your clients, where they don't want to come in. If you can like foster a space that is cool to be in, that will at least get them in the door, which is, it's not even half the battle. Because if you can continually get them in the door, mm-hmm. that's that's the whole game, right? Like they're going to come in here and do something, mm-hmm. right? And that's really, you know, the, the idea that showing up is half the battle. Like in fitness, it's kind of not. Like it's kind of the whole, it's kind of the whole bag, mm-hmm. right? So if you can create a, a space and whether that space is because the parallels between website metrics and statistics and in-person like um like members in your club is the same thing i remember walking through your door as a page visit right like if anyone has shopify or squarespace or anything like that like you can track analytics to a crazy degree you can watch how someone navigates through your website in the same way like if you look at how grocery stores are built the amount of science that goes into where things are in a mm-hmm. grocery store, everything is on purpose, mm-hmm. right? Like you need to walk by and or through all of like the high margin items to get to the lower margin items, right? So it's, it's the same thing. If you take that, those analytics or that analytical thought process and just apply it to your in-person business, you're going to see the same results. Like it really, it's just, a, it's just a matter of big data, like over enough time, like trends will emerge like conversion rates. If you can drive as like an e-commerce business in the fitness platform, if you're selling a product and a decent conversion rate, like you'll make your money, obviously pending like overhead and margin and stuff like that. If you convert at like 2%, mm-hmm. Laughing, you're winning. two percent. I know, and it's like it doesn't really matter how many people land on your page. Like if you have a product, like if you have a hundred people land on your page and you convert at two percent, the likelihood that that percentage will waver if you have a hundred million people go through that site is it's still going to remain at two percent, right? Isn't that fucked? Like I wonder like what the what the background logic is to that, like the human behavior psychology part of it. Like what like what makes it just two percent? I always wondered that. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's more of, I, it's sales statistics in person, just in the digital space. Like I was always when I grew up training at Good Life. Like if you ask a hundred people that walk in the door, ten percent will say yes to something just because you asked, mm. right? I think there's, a, there's in a, Canada it's twenty. <laughs> right. I think there's a there's a default to truth that human beings have. So if you're selling something regardless of efficacy i think the human like the nature of human beings is to default to truth yeah. like if we we need a ridiculous amount of data to collect on the other side of the aisle to disbelieve something right like the milgram's study is a weird way to describe sales but it's like an inverted way that i look at how sales works is in the so milgram's is like the one where they electric shock or they mm-hmm. have someone in the other room they come in with the examiner. The person who's administering the shock is actually the subject of the research the research study. And the physician tells the person in the room to administer a shock to the person in the right. other room. Not actually being shocked, but and I think something like 60 plus percent of people, when they retroactively sort of um, examine them or, or analyze them, when they ask them like, hey, how sure are you that you were administering like a, a, like a lethal dose. And 60 plus percent were like, yeah, I'm fairly confident that they were getting this potentially lethal dose. And they just did it anyways, yeah. right? Because they're defaulting to truth. Like they're defaulting to like the better angels of human nature. 
thinking that, well, this guy in the white lab coat is telling me to do this. He must know more than me. So he knows better than I do. So therefore, I'm just going to go along with it. And obviously, like that skews when there's a guy with a white lab coat over your shoulder compared to like you're looking at a web page you land on. But I think it still exists on the same continuum of like a default to truth. So because two percent like is ki- kind of a lot if you think about it. Like in the digital space of like someone hits your website and might not know a damn thing about you, mm-hmm. and two percent of people just randomly coming across your website will convert. And that can sustain your business? That's crazy to me. That's a really good point. I never, I never thought of it as the Milgram's experiment. Mm. That's actually a really good way of thinking about it because if you can, and it, it goes in with like positioning yourself as to who you want to be positioned as for your certain audience. So maybe like 100,000 people go onto your website, let's say in, a, in one month, but maybe only 2% resonate with your message and with what you're about. So maybe that makes sense with the 2%. Well, because I think this drives like, it's it's a good way to contrast branding and marketing. Yeah. Right? Like your branding is going to be your uh, appeal for authority. Like this is how you make the white coat. So your sales pitch is, you know, as is followed through upon as as you hope it will be. But marketing is is how is it that we can get a higher concentration of those 2% people? Marketing is like jury selection, mm. right? Like if you've ever watched or if you've ever been a part of a trial, like one of the things that lead in, lead into a trial is like lawyers get together and they interview potential jurors and they are looking for certain attributes of this jury and they'll ask them questions that have proxies to personality types. Like, do you drink black coffee or some shit? It was like, well, you know, 78% of black coffee drinkers think he did it. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's that's the difference between branding and marketing. Because marketing and branding, everyone's just like, uh, marketing is all just like making a logo. Or branding is just like Facebook ads. It's like, no, those are like the opposite things. Like logos are, again, just the signal of understanding like your core values as, as a business, like your ideologies, your ideals, your methodologies, your, your theology, everything about not only just the training, but again, the amalgamation of like your training beliefs and thought processes, but also your own personal beliefs mm-hmm. and thought processes, at least at like our level. Like I think Nike's the swoosh of the bit, yeah. Oh, yeah, they're yeah. not going to come up like it's a triangle no. now. You yeah. Know what I mean? <laughs> So, but I think there's people got to realize the difference between marketing and branding. Marketing is like, okay, how, what is unique about these avatars and avatar being like the 2% of people that mm-hmm. bought and how can I better identify in the digital space people that emulate that? Like, what is your demo, right? Like mm-hmm. what, like, what do what is your age group? What is your, what is uh, the gender? And that's what marketing should uncover. Like, like through your marketing, you should be touching those people. Yeah. 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 And a lot of it just you know like just do the legwork right? you're gonna notice a certain cohort of people that are drawn to you like whether it be eight and now the the tricky part is are you only attracting that audience by the vehicles in which you're attracting audiences right because the biggest example of this is like with men and women women make like 80 percent of market decisions right so they're usually have a I would say maybe a higher default to truth than men without going like too deep into, into stuff like that. But it's, that's a pretty proven statistic that they're going to drive 80% of market decisions. Now the fitness industry is disproportionately men with an asterisk mm. 
fit the digital fitness industry is disproportionately men. But I talk to any gym owners like where do you, where what's your demo? Uh, females, thirty five. Yeah, physical gym 50. is all women. Yeah, right. So it's like especially in like a, a a setting like this, commercial gym space might be a little bit skewed, but the market of like entrepreneurial fitness is broadly going to be females, right? So then you run into the issues like from a meta perspective, is my data skewed because of the instrument that I'm measuring, right? It's almost mm -hmm. like a um, an observer effect, right? Like that's like a very deep level of uh, what would even be the word chemistry chemistry biology physics where it's like a, when you look at an electron to see what it's doing it actually changes what it's doing right right so it's almost like with social media and this is something you got to be careful with instagram and youtube are very male dominant platforms mm. right so your issue might not be the way you're targeting it's where you're targeting right so if i'm trying to you know get into this not untapped but like a relative blue water of you know females it's like females in the fitness industry maybe i'm just in the wrong i'm in the wrong ocean right are you talking from like a fitness coach perspective or from like a, a client perspective well if i'm trying to acquire new clients and you know i know in person that i'm seeing a lot of females with a particular demographic it's like why am i not seeing that same thing on the digital side oh so you can't take what works for the physical and apply it to a certain degree it's just i think because the brick and mortar, you're just going to get the same homogenous and not homogenous from like a negative sense, but the same homogenous traffic, right? Like Dougal doesn't or we're on Dougal? Howard. Howard. Howard doesn't have a bias of men and women, right? right? It's, it's, but Instagram or Pinterest has a bias towards men and women, right? So that's where it's like a little bit different is in the online. You just need to you need to understand that your analytics are going to be directly driven by the platform in which you choose mm, to pull point. analytics yeah. from, right? So a lot of people will look at like insights on posts and they'll look at their, their countries that, they, that they're appealing to and the followers based off of those countries. And you can see it's all, it's really incredible what like is offered up to you for free mm. now. It's, it's wild. But one of the things is you need to consider the platform in which it's offering up to you, right? Because in our space, social media is going to be the open mouth of that funnel, right? So if your social media platform is predominantly a male-dominated platform, Instagram and you, uh, Instagram not so much, but YouTube absolutely, it's like, well, maybe my metrics are skewed because I'm not even getting in front of the other audience, right? right? So it's like... Do you have a Pinterest account, right? Pinterest is one that comes to mind because it's predominantly female. Right. But if you're someone who's trying to make a, a, a mass appeal to a female market, you got to understand like your your medium in which you're attempting to reach them because mm -hmm. it's not the unbiased, homogenous Howard Avenue, you know, visual traffic. So mm -hmm. it, it's it's something that. Again, it, it differentiates marketing from branding, and a lot of people just clump those together as one thing. And it's like there's not they're not anywhere near the same thing. You're quite introspective with this stuff. Like, do you do you research this yourself, or is this like the culmination of all your years in business that you've sort of learned through other people about all this stuff? Because it seems like you're you're like you're like almost interested in this kind of stuff. Yeah, you have to be to a certain extent. It and here's the thing: it affects none of my decisions <laughs> because I think the brand is the most important yeah. thing, right? Because if Prescript started a Pinterest account, because here's the thing, it's like we have like wicked females that come through our program. 
and like I don't want to be disparaging or I don't want to you know make any inference of people who like aren't on Instagram as not being wicked mm-hmm. like I'm sure there are people who fucking kill on on um, Pinterest but right. for me it's like the 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 females that come through prescript are to me and I, I know this to a certain degree they're the chicks that walk in the middle of the dumbbell section at 5 p.m mm-hmm. and go up to a guy and be like mm-hmm. you done with that that your last set all right i'm working in because it's it can be intimidating yeah. right like it can be inti- especially with like our brand like our brand is just it's us right like it's a bunch of tatted <laughs> up dudes that like lifting weights and reading about lifting weights right so that can be I am, and I've been told that like I can be pretty intimidating, but we have like a strong contingent of people who aren't intimidated by that, who who gravitate towards that. So for me, it's like I'll never make marketing decisions that are off brand, right? Right. So like for me, it's I look into it because it's interesting, and there are small things. And here's like if you can get a, a slight adjustment of your conversion percentage. You know that can be a considerable amount of revenue, right? Or you can adjust your margins while making the same amount. If we could just allocate our, our mm-hmm. budgeting a uh, slightly different base off some of these metrics, so you get to a point where it becomes not high stakes. Like I don't lose sleep over it, mm-hmm. but it's really more of a matter of you know where can we optimize on that end? Like where can we just reach more people? Like where can we find these like audiences? Because it's just it's going to keep coming back, right? Because if I can get it in front of the right person. And I know how like our coaches are with, you know, building the community, interacting with one another. Then like that one person is not just another coach, right? Like it's another advocate, it's another voice, it's mm-hmm. another it's another person who's like, hey, I'm in this city, sick. Like I got like I, I got a guy I can go hang with because like he's down with what we do. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's it's never anything that drives. Like literally, it doesn't drive any of our decision making processes, but it's something that I've I've had a lot of interest in because the end result of that on a personal level is like oh I get like there's another person out there like I don't want to say like us, but that that thinks period because mm-hmm. there'll be people I meet up with and their training styles are so unbelievably different, mm-hmm. but the underlying critical thinking is there, and we'll just sit and riff. From what I gather from being in the intensive in person, but also through the labs and lectures online, like there's a lot of free thinkers out there and people pose really smart questions that I'm like, fuck, like I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Right. And like I, I never really saw that that much in the industry. It's a tough way to build a brand because most people build a brand off of like, here's these, here's the system. When someone comes in with this, this is what you do. And because it's hard it's hard to not sell certainty. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we sell is we sell uncertainty. <laughs> We're like, Look, we could all be wrong. Register today. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Where it's like a lot of, I've, I find that a lot of people that are looking for products to buy, it's like they have a problem. They want you to solve it for them. Mm-hmm. Where we seem to resonate with people. It's like, you have a problem? Oh, you have no idea how many problems you have. <laughs> Let me tell you how many more places to look to find more problems that you didn't even know were problems. So that's like, it's tough. And it's been, I, could, I think we probably could have, if, and I don't want to say like copped out or whatever, but it, or sold out. But if we like, if we did that and we're like, here's the 
bulletproof shoulder whatever yeah like, like the five steps for a perfect squat and then like you go through your progressions and you saw that progression as if it's like no this is the gold standard yeah but like, yeah so and it's it's tougher to well not tougher but it's 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 a broader appeal to the general population but i think one of the luxuries of we have working with coaches is if you're a coach in this industry at a certain point you have to ditch that Mm-hmm. Right, you have to ditch that like one size fits all because you you just have people on the table forever, yeah. right? So it, it's we're lucky in the sense that our our customer base or however you want to frame it are all coaches, and likely by the time you've made it to our doorstep, like you've been around for a bit, you've gone through some mm-hmm. stuff. You're not looking for more answers; you're looking for more questions. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, welcome, take a seat. This is a bunch. Well, of and that's shit the that beauty thing, man. About. Like like when I went through the course PSL one and two. Like it, it made my acumen so much larger and my, my bandwidth to understand difficult concepts was higher. So now when I see a client in front of me, I, I'm not just seeing it through the lens of what I've learned in the last, let's say like 10 years. Now it's like, oh, now I have this other capacity to understand what you're doing in a different lens. And it's like, oh, let's try this. And I, it, it allows me to ask myself questions to see if I do this, will this happen? Right. Yes or no. And if it doesn't, cool. Like I'm not tied to that emotionally. Just like the, the, the guy uh, yesterday, like, he presented with like very, he, I'm like, it's like you're a 90 year old. I said, yes. I go to him. I go, but you move like you're fucking 20. Like on the table, passively. Yeah, 90. passively. He's like a 90 year old. Loaded. And, and, but then like with gravity, because we're humans and we have gravity on us, he was moving perfectly. Yeah. So I'm like, do I spend the first four weeks doing a bunch of fucking rotator cuff stuff and like stability work? Or do I just have him load? Hmm. And maybe he doesn't have the, 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 cause like, dude, he's skinny, like, the, like no muscle mass on him. So maybe he just doesn't have, the requisite muscle on him to go through like simple muscle actions. Yeah. So let me load him for like four weeks and see what happens. Will his table test improve? Yes or no? I don't know. Yeah. And the nice thing is that it's, it's an adaptable model, right? <clears throat> because that's what human beings do. Like we adapt, mm-hmm. but, and that's the hard part is, is selling the uncertainty that comes with the responsibility. Cause really what we're selling is like, the onus is on you, yeah. which is kind of nice because I can throw my hands in the air and be like, hey, I mean, it's this is your job, but it is your job, right? Like yeah. it is the coach's job to figure it out. And a lot of people, and I find it's people who aren't in the industry anymore, end up in methods of thinking or get stuck in methods of thinking that don't allow for adaptability. It's like, nope, this is it. This is what you have to do. That's the pro. That's the protocol. Mm. And then if if nothing if that doesn't work, it's some it's their problem. It's like well, it's gonna be the coach's problem because they don't have any fucking clients because they can't adapt to fit every situation. So it's like, and that's why I'm such a big advocate of you just know the anatomy, like just know the anatomy, know like know the uh, the biomechanics. Everything exists inside of there. Like that's your source code. Like those are your ones and zeros. So for me, it's like, well, if you want to execute complex programs, like you have to have like a high mm-hmm. bit operating system. You need to have a lot of ones and zeros. So it's like, if you can look at someone and be like, oh, okay. Like I, I kind of get the bias that this person has based off of their size and shape or based off the fact that like, oh, look, this guy doesn't have a lot of muscle mass. Isolation, probably not in the cards. Let's like integrate what he does have. And then from there we can spin off into isolation. Mm-hmm. We have something resembling systemic strength or motor unit mm-hmm. recruitment or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh no, we're going to start you with a, the these primal movements or we're going to do like the fit fix for whatever the low back extension and the seven machines it's like it's i don't know it's like riding the city bus it's it's like i just this industry is so like it's so big and dynamic and ever-changing and the the online space took it to a point where it's like 
it's like it's like the tagline is you need to be doing this mm. or it's almost like the men's health magazine where it's like um the the five movements you should be doing or that you're not doing it's like shut the fuck up yeah i don't need fucking primal uh fucking whatever it is that i'm doing on, on the floor like i, I don't need that yeah. i don't think it's just well, it's a the tough thing is it's like i think of it like like bottom feeders is gonna sound like a really bad word <laughs> but they bring someone who reads that article will will like we won't click it because we know it's nonsense but it's it's a f they're the open mouth to the funnel of the industry as a whole right and that was something that i used to get caught up about it's like well if i'm down here and they're here and this article is free what's the price difference between the value of the information you get for free versus what i deem the value of the information i put out put a number to it so i don't feel bad because they're going to bring a ton of people in some people will do it and have great success and then others will do it and kind of look elsewhere and others will do it and go spiraling off into the the ether of the outward facing fitness universe and maybe they they collide with another article or uh, another youtube video and they find something that works and then they pipe into the funnel it's like all right great i don't really want to be men's health or men's fitness or muscle and fitness or whatever I ha I'm happy they're there, mm -hmm. right? Because well, do I want to put a publication on shelves in every fucking airport? Like, God, oh, that sounds really hard <laughs> to like print it and then ship it all. The I have no idea how they do it, right. but I'm glad they do it because someone on a flight to Jersey is like, ah, five ways to get shredded. Interesting. Okay. And then, you know, the guy loses five pounds in the next six weeks and he's like, you know what? Like um, they had the Instagram handle there. I'm going to follow Muscle and Fitness. Oh, they had this guy on. And then Muscle and Fitness calls me. He's like, yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there absolutely because then it's just like you're just trying to trickle like percolate them so you down. think that that sort of bottom feeder is the is the open door to like something like you would provide or maybe like maybe if not that maybe like at a, at a higher level you know what i mean like is it their way of just saying okay like that sparked my interest let me see what else is out there yeah like if someone's seeking solutions like that they're probably very um junior in our industry like they're probably not fitness people right like the appeal on the cover you know you got like terry cruz on the cover and then like five ways to get shredded like terry it's like okay i'm never gonna read that but if again someone's walking through the airport it's like oh fuck like yeah, they're gonna lay over mm -hmm. but yeah oh cool you know my my missus has been getting up because my waistband is like, whatever the fuck all right terry what you got for me oh okay interesting it's always a thruster <laughs> A push-up plus, and then like some type of like that's leg. It. That's all it that's is it. every time. But if it, that's more than what the guy's doing, then yeah. it's like oh, okay. And then you know he he just makes a fitness follow my fitness journey Instagram account, mm -hmm. and then he's like in it, and he starts following different people, and like he gets his few favorites, and he goes on YouTube. So it's like yeah. Otherwise, that guy would just if that stuff wasn't there. Like, ah, oh, I don't know. Like, what's the good housekeeping magazine saying on my weight for my next flight? So I think we need that. And we need, like, we need industries that are reliant on mass appeal. Because, like, the stuff we talk about isn't necessarily appealing to the masses. Nor should it be. Because we're trying to reach coaches that reach a lot of people. Mm -hmm. We're not trying to directly reach a lot of people. But eventually, like, again, the old we all started somewhere. It's like there was a Jay Cutler muscular development magazine that was like, 
like where you better believe I followed those workouts. Now, 15 years later, it's like, you know, I'm putting stuff together on my own, but it started there. Mm-hmm. So I, I it's, it, it can be hard because you can come across these different outward facing touch points to our industry and be like, God, this is such a poor representation of what this industry is capable of. Um, but, you know, they're going to convert at 2%. Yeah. Right. Like they're going to, and then that 2% is going to cycle in. And just like I said, it's, you know, that, that might be a very, uh, a poor outcome with whatever that touch point is like the five steps or three steps or four foods you should avoid, whatever the hell. And you're going to have people spiral off to their next and basically just waiting to plinko down into like better information and, and more progress and more dedication to the industry. But I don't want to be on the outward face of it. Like I wouldn't I, want I to do what it takes to be appealing to the guy walking by the newsstand. It's hard, man. And like, I'm trying to have more of like an empathetic view on fitness and people coming into the industry as coaches, but then also as, as like customers and consumers, right? Like, like we have to meet them where they're at. And sometimes I forget that not everybody needs to start at the highest level of fitness as a coach and, or as a consumer. So maybe like, you know, somebody going into some type of program that I may not deem the best or optimal, maybe that's what they need right then and there because it's where they're at in their journey. Same thing like as a, like as a one or two year old coach that's been only training for a couple of years. Like they probably need to go through the ins and outs like we did. I mean, like I had to go through all my bullshit to figure out like what it is that I stood for. So maybe people just need to go through that to get to where they have to go, right? Like, I think that's just the way the process works for, for most things. Yeah, and I think if you can get a grasp of like where you're at I don't like the word hierarchy because it infers superiority sure. and inferiority. But like, if you can get a grasp of where you're at, where you're like, you're honestly like where your education level is at, and your ability to apply that education or that that knowledge, then you just want to become encouraging, right? Like, encourage. I encourage everyone, even if it's people message me about competitors in the space. Like, hey, what do you think about this course over this course? It's like, yeah, do take them. Absolutely, because you're taking courses now. You're entering into the marketplace of courses. Because if the one thing I know, if you take one of our courses, like whether it's mine or another one, like that's a there's a marketplace that if you've entered into it, you're then going to go around and see what else is there, right? Like anyone who has a running business, like in the education space, hopefully is you know delivering somewhat of a good product. But just as we have our holes they're going to have their holes and people are going to start to cycle around like with the like with the rebels programming it's like nothing there's nothing new about education there's nothing new about training online but it's if someone were to be like hey i want to do this thing or this thing it's like you just encourage them to get into the marketplace because mm-hmm. at a certain point they're going to do because it's the same thing i noticed this when i was in grad school it's like there were kids that took every weekend certification whether it was like rock tape or graston right. or whatever and I was like, oh, and like, that wasn't me. Like, I didn't really care for it. But I started to realize, I'm like, oh, like that's, they're entering into a marketplace. Like, if they take one, they're going to take everything. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like, if someone asks me about either education or training, it's like, and what do you think of this guy? It's like, dude, you clearly have made, like, it's almost like how people make decisions by flipping a coin. It's like, heads or tails? Like, uh, <laughs> heads, I'm going to go left. Tails, I'm going to go right. Tails. Fuck. I'm going left. Like, yeah, it's like, well, yeah. well, why'd you flip the coin? It's like, because now it at least proves to you that you really wanted to go that direction in the first place. So if someone messaged me like, hey, like, I'm really looking at this guy's course. I'm like, do it. You know, I own a course. But, but they've clearly made that. It's just like, yeah, no, absolutely, man. And like, I'm not going to give like a seal of approval if I don't know anything about it, but I'll definitely encourage them to be like, 
go look into it. And if you're interested, go take it. Yeah. Because that guy will come back. A, I wasn't disparaging to him. It doesn't affect negatively. Because I, I don't care. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't affect negatively on me, which is like a lot of people are building or I don't, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. But to me, it seems as if people try to build people up by tearing other people down. Right. So I don't think I'm the only show in town. You don't think you're the only show in town. Mm-hmm. But if people live in this town long enough. They're going to go see all the shows. <laughs> right. And like, you know, your goal from a branding perspective is to be able to keep them for longer than your competitors. Right. That's really what it is. It's like, can I offer a good service? Can I create something that's more than just fitness? Because that's the biggest thing. At the end of the day, like we're all kind of selling reps and sets. Mm-hmm. It's like, what is the value add that will keep this person on for th- six months, eight months, a year? Right. And those are intangibles that you have to figure out as your own brand is like what like what are the intangibles that keep people part of your brand like for you guys it's the community outlook of things right like just being able to link up with other coaches around the world like that's a fucking great selling point right like no one's a dick you know like that's yeah. another selling point like everyone's pretty like chill with it but i think that it comes back to our original point it's like that is merely an extension like the reason we have coaches all over the world is because for the last four years i've been all over the world yeah. and like the reason i ho- think i hope that with the people we've attracted aren't dicks it's like i hope that as i've traveled around the world i'm well haven't been a dick did you ever think that you're gonna get to this point in your career no no i had no idea what i was doing i was forced into this like i didn't have i don't want to say i didn't have a choice like i definitely chose to pursue this over not like i had an easy out like mm-hmm. i had i would have had a clinic clinic built for me in australia i had like a pretty sweet rap sheet like here you go just sign here and get on this plane and your debts will disappear. You'll live on a house in the ocean, like right on the ocean, and you'll have a clinic paid for two million dollars in Sydney. Like, good to go. And it just—it wasn't even a thought. I was like, oh no. <laughs> and then I was like, what? What? It's like, no, no. Like your de- like someone will pay off your student loan. Another person will give you like two million dollars to build the facility of your dreams, and someone's gonna give you a three and a half million dollar house on the ocean. And I was just and I say it now, I'm like, God, you stupid idiot. Should have taken the fucking deal, you moron. Looking back at all the work you got to do. Oh, now, my God. That, I yeah. mean, I wouldn't change it for anything. But, yeah. like, it wasn't even a thought. I was like, oh, no. no like, how many people would have done that? Like, they probably would have sold their soul to, like. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's hard to say. Because I think to be in that position, you got to be pretty, like, about it. And I think it's, that's the catch-22. Like, that's the paradox. It's like because I was so invested into fitness, like I've been, you know, whether I've been able to answer the questions or not, like when I started working at Good Life at like, oh, 16, 17, mm. within a year or two, it was like, you know, people had questions. I walked into the gym and they're like, hey, go ask that guy. Go ask that guy. Like, so, like, so early on, you sort of had a, a different brain thinking about, about this kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't know what it was. I mean, I'm really smart training partner. Like, like, do you, like, do you think it was your chiropractic school that got you thinking differently, or was it way before then? Way before. Like, I was, when I would work out, like, me and my buddy Luke, who, like, taught me how to train, I just had such a high, a high stand, like, a relatively high standard of thinking about training, just because my first training partner was Luke Bernatchez, yeah, yeah. who's, like, he's still a guy that if I have questions, I'll go to him and 
you know where's he at these days he's in windsor still windsor yeah 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 Yeah, he does a lot just basically only private stuff um he's got a nice little build out and he's like you can't you just can't train with him yeah like i'm lucky that i can hit him up like i'm in town can we train yeah but like completely full good roster for the rest of his life um so yeah i was like oh this is just how much people know when they start and it's like I no, I was I was piggybacking off a guy who'd been doing it for ten years mm-hmm. and was like shredded to the bone, mm-hmm. strong as hell. Like, just been doing it since he was fifteen. He was, yeah, probably twenty five when we met. And I was like, oh, so this is the standard. Everyone knows all of this shit. And if I'm going to get marginally better, I need to know that. Not knowing that what he taught me in the first six months was probably <laughs> the equivalent of like a kinesiology yeah. degree. Yeah. And then I was trying to better that. Right, because he was way stronger. It's like, well, fuck, I got to bring something to the table. Like, maybe if I can read up on this more, and like I could bring like a, a different approach to programming or something, which I couldn't, because like he's so damn smart, mm. and he's just so applied. Like he's just done it for so mm. long, whether it was training his own clients or training himself. So I was just like, all right, I'm just gonna read a ton of shit about this. So that's all I did was I just read about it, and then so from a young age, it was like, well, this is just what I like. Mm. I was always the guy. I was like, I don't know, go ask him. I don't, I don't know if I had the right answer, but it's like. I got to field a ton of questions, right? So I kind of just became a repository of the misunderstanding in the sense that I got a really good cross-section of what people didn't get. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, people don't understand that? Like, Luke taught me that the first day. Well, and, like, they don't understand, like, a, like a lot of the basic stuff. Right. Like, I had a discussion with a, a client here yesterday. Um, she's a coach, and, like, she was, like, taking creatine, but, like, didn't know why she was taking creatine. Oh. And so I had to tell her why. And she's like, oh, that makes sense. Right. And so I just, I'm like, how, how did you not? Yeah. Right. So it's like, oh, shit. Like, maybe I have, like, a bunch of content that I could make now about. Yeah. Right. Because, like, like, the average person doesn't know what we know. And I take it for granted sometimes. Well, and that was my, when I first started, like, my Instagram started with, like, these really shitty whiteboard. It was just when Instagram went to 60-second videos. And, then, like, I had a whiteboard in my office, like, in my treatment room. And I would put like this shitty tripod with my camera up. Your YouTube videos still pop up on my YouTube. Page. Yeah, yeah, like so those the same shitty setup. Yeah. I think I may have had a slightly better camera when I moved to YouTube, but like all I really did was I would write down at the end of every day like what I had to explain to a patient, and sometimes the drawing was what I drew for a patient. I was like, no, like so this is how your TFL works. Like this is what your iliotibial band mm-hmm. is. Foam rolling probably does this make it dynamic and like move the vastest lateral and like just shit like that and i i'm thinking like you were like oh like how do you not know this mm-hmm. like how do you not know what creatine does if you mm-hmm. take it right that was my biggest thing is i was always like i i wasn't going to do anything unless i knew why i was doing it mm-hmm. and sometimes i was given an answer that to come to find out later was like completely wrong <laughs> but i made sure that everyone gave me an answer mm-hmm. and then but by that logic, I had to make sure I had an answer for everything I was doing, right? Like this was, and kind of like to further your point about like, was it chiropractic college that did that? One of the biggest accelerants for me in critically appraising my own thought process was when I was working at Apple, like they don't, they're not malicious. Like they, they don't know anything about biomechanics, right. but they know about learning, mm. right? Like these guys are double PhD, MIT, Stanford, like, they're they're very analytical they have to be like they're in the center of this massive machine so i'd have patients that would come in like developers software engineers whatever have have this this way of learning this way of thinking and 
they would just ask me in a way that they solve problems because coding is really just problem solving, mm. right? Like it's just very text heavy problem solving. So they would apply logic to how it is that they write their code to what I was telling them. And then I just realized, I was like, I don't know of the reason to why I do a lot of things. Like a lot of it really boiled down to, well, I paid this school a lot of money and they told me this thing, but it wasn't mechanistic. So it's like, all right, back to the drawing board. So I literally had to burn everything, not everything down, but I had to see what was going to stick. I was like, I need to, like every single patient, and I saw a fucking ton of them when I was in corporate, was why does, like from a mechanistic perspective, why is what I'm telling this person going to be the solution to their problem? First off, am I identifying the problem correctly? And does it align with the solution that makes sense? Right. And so that was like a, a an inflection point in like my critical thinking trajectory of like, look, and not many people are going to ask these questions about fitness stuff because mm -hmm. they're like, oh yeah, whatever, deadlift, squat, bench press, got it, cool. Yeah. But with these guys were just like, yeah, so like what what's happening? Like why, like what, what how does stretching work? They're like children. They're like, yeah, but why, but why? Because they're that analytical, right? Like, yeah, they have to. And it was like, it was cool to me because it was like no judgment. Like their whole job is mostly things mm -hmm. they don't mm -hmm. understand. So they're on like the frontier of their own understanding every single day. And mm -hmm. that's just, they live on this uncomfortable edge or what, what I would deem to be this uncomfortable edge of uncertainty. And that's just where they thrive. So they push me there, and I was like, "Fuck, dude!" Like I have no. At a certain point, like, just shut. See that diploma? Yeah. <laughs> shut the fuck up, yeah. right? For fifteen minutes, but it's like, dude. But it sharpened your sword, man. Like oh it gave God. you so much experience to like learn how to like navigate these questions that yeah. that you probably wouldn't have never had. And now it's just sound bites, right? Like now yeah. it's everything has been summarized to like, you know, you kind of alluded to it earlier, and they've instilled it in me because it's how they think. But it's like logarithmic thinking. It's mm -hmm. if this, then that. If you string enough of those sentences together. It's like you can you can solve really complex problems really quickly. Like I can ask four or five questions, and if I know how the answers to these four or five questions are going to dictate the order or maybe the 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 contrasting nature of some of the questions. Like if this is yes, go down this rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. If this is no, go down this rabbit hole. If this is no and this is yes, that means you go this mm -hmm. direction. And all of that just happens. See, and that's one thing that like, so in that arena of thinking, right, when, when you're working with like ones and zeros, like you can't go by feel. You have to fucking figure out like if yes, do this, if not, right? Whereas I feel like coaches do it by feel sometimes. Or like, well, like there is this intangible, like you have to go by feel with in fitness. Too many coaches only do by feel. And right. what your system suggests or, or, what, or what your coursework does is that like it allows the coach to have more capacity, more bandwidth to make better or to ask better questions to go down different rabbit holes. And rabbit holes probably is a wrong term to use, but like it gives you a different system to go through to see how can I help this person versus always kind of saying, well, I'm it just feels like it's going to work. Yeah. You know, I think we're really good. You alluded to it earlier about like understanding facial patterns and recognitions of like, so who's trying to kill me? Right, like I need to be able to recognize someone's facial expression through nonverbal communication, and that's a that's an evolved skill because if you can't recognize the look in a guy's eye when he's about to off you, you that that gene, the that inability to recognize that gene dies off. Yeah. Right, so I think it's the same thing when we look at you know the 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 people who go off of feel. It's like they're probably just in a place where they're recognizing patterns subliminally based off of nonverbals that you could absolutely draw out why it works, 
right? Like you could like, okay, you feel this because you've recognized in the past that people with knee pain have an aversion to this and therefore do this. And their underlying, their underlying deficiency is X, Y, and Z. And the exercise you're choosing is actually based off of like, let's minimize, you know, the anterior translation at the knee and let's maximize hip uh, posterior displacement so we can go from a hinge into mm-hmm. a squatting pattern. Mm-hmm. So they're like, yeah, I don't know. I just, that's how I've always done it. It's like, all right, that's fine. That's cool. That works. Because there's like only a few ways from a mechanical standpoint that the body can move efficiently long-term and as long as programming is, is equal and load management's there, that makes sense, right? Like we know the limitations of the planes of movement that a joint can work through. We know relative, you know, ability for tissues to manage load. We know what it takes to recover and all that. But the tricky part and where I think that like you can actually become really good at like quote unquote feel is if you've been able to, and look, there's a lot we don't know. But if you can really push the boundaries of or like the borders of what you know from like a, like a biomechanical perspective, you can then be more confident to make decisions that don't resonate with biomechanics that start to dive into some of the other systems that might be at play, right? Like if I know all of the things that can cause like burning pain through someone's uh, like pinky fingers up through their shoulder and like I can chase this down and within 20 or 30 minutes I can look at that and be like oh this guy doesn't have some axillary nerve entrapment or he doesn't have any issues in like the quadrangular space or he has no issues with like the anterior and middle scalenes I can go through and do like test oh he has, doesn't have like a radiculopathy he doesn't have a cervical spine disc herniation I can go through all that and be like hmm doesn't seem like a mechanical problem which is something like that opens up your borders to like other sub disciplines that could be a guy uh, a couple weeks ago had shingles Mm. it's like ah dude i'm getting this like weird burning pain down and it followed a nerve root distribution so i was like okay this is this nerve and it branches here and like it goes uh you know it's from this nerve root and it goes to this division and it goes to uh this branch and this trunk and so like i can peel back all of the things that would cause some sort of weird sensory hyperalgesia to this, these mm-hmm. two fingers up the elbow into the shoulder, into the neck. And I just start at the neck. It's like, all right, cervical spine compression, lateral flexion. No, okay, nothing makes it worse. Not a disc herniation. Go down into like where it bra- breaks off into divisions, go through the scalenes. This seems to be fine. Nothing's making it better or worse down into like the armpit through the pec minor into like the teres and the long head tricep and the lat this like little weird mm-hmm. quadrangular and i just follow it all the way down and there's nothing it's like oh is like any of that changed it's like no it's like okay this doesn't seem like it's my problem it's like go go to the doctor i think you have shingles i sure see, shit he has shingles and like it's funny how like people will go to a trainer or a coach first for like advice like that instead of saying shit like i got pain let me go see a doctor before yeah. right because they always think it's like muscular it's always mechanical yeah they always think well and that's the thing like the old every hammer or if every if your only tools hammer everything's a nail that's fine but i just understand where you have nails in front of you and when you don't like be a fucking hammer be a be a sledgehammer be a fucking battering ram be really good at being a hammer but know when you have like a screw in front of you yeah right like that was for me it's like oh look i chased all these possibilities down like basically it, it, what i just did was called differential diagnosis mm-hmm. it was like i went through just my wheelhouse is biomechanics but there are issues that can present like biomechanical issues that aren't 
right? This is like a, like a shingles is like a neuro thing. It's like kind of an infection that sits latent in your spinal cord. And then what is usually stress induced, it can be like stress induced caused by an injury. Mm. So you can have an injury and then that causes uh, like a retroactive or retrograde. Anyways, it doesn't matter. But like I've had one girl, this is a funny one. I had a girl call my emergency number at 1.30 a.m. once. And this is a time where I was like, you know, paycheck to paycheck doesn't begin to describe right. how broke I was. So I was like, all right, my emergency visit's more expensive. Mm-hmm. It was like, all I need to do is drive 20 minutes and I'll make like 200 bucks. Like, sick, Hell boys yeah. eat this yeah. week, what up? <laughs> and I go in. And one of the things you're taught is to be very wary about like strokes. Like chiropractic and strokes are always like this misunderstood thing. And no one really talks about the exact mechanism or anything. So this girl calls me and she's like going through it. She's like crying. She's like, look, like I am having the worst pain of my life. I like my eyes won't stop watering. I have this crazy 10 out of 10 headache. And when they teach you in differential diagnosis, like the type of stroke that chiro- that people go see chiropractors for, this chick was fit in the bill. Mm. Like if you're a female, you know, 25 to like 35, take oral contraceptives, you um, experiencing this 10 out of 10, like photophobic, like you can't handle light very well. And so I'm in there like 1.30 in the morning in my office. It's her and her boyfriend. And I'm like, holy fuck, like, this chick might be having a stroke. Fuck. Right? Because that causes pain. If you sever a blood vessel in your neck, which is like the strokes that you know most chiropractors get uh, accused of causing, they come to you because they're already having the stroke, which is like what people don't get. So they go to the chiropractor because they have neck pain. Mm-hmm. And then they leave. And then the continuation of the course of that stroke Happens. So chiropractor doesn't understand the full scope of mechanics. He goes, sure. I think it's this. Like, really? Like they have a tight scalene and right. that's why they're a 10 out of 10 pain and they can't handle light. So if they're not good at differentials and you think everything's just biomechanics, turned out this particular girl was like, I was chasing down every biomechanical corner that could potentially cause this. And I was working through like the temperament, like the jaw, the mm-hmm. TMJ. And as I started poking around, I as I was like going through like this is one called like the buccinate and the uh, medial and lateral pterygoid. So one is actually inside the mouth. So I literally put gloves on and I'm like I am not leaving here until I am certain that I've turned over every right. rock because I don't want to tell this chick like you're having a stroke. Go yeah. until I'm pretty certain that it's nothing that I can do to help. So and I was poking around the outside of the jaw. I pressed in and it wasn't really on a place where there was a muscle. I was like oh fuck and it's like ah. Oh. I was like, so whatever you did just made it way worse. I was like, what the fuck? And I was about to like put my gloves on to go like literally like lateral mm. pterygoid inside the mouth. And uh, I was like, that's really weird because I wasn't poking on a muscle at all. I was poking on her teeth. No she way. Impacted molar. Jesus. Send her to the dentist. <laughs> no, that- no stroke, no muscle, no nothing. So I was like, I'm like, wait a minute. That's a really weird response because I'm not pressing on a muscle like mm. you know you hit like a, a, a trigger point or something like that like holy fuck yeah dude that's mm. whatever that is that's it and she did that but i was pressing on her tooth there's no trigger point on your tooth right you so like- i was like and I'm like, what is going on here so i literally just take my phone light out and i'm like i'm no dentist right so i shot i'm like that doesn't look right and i'd like poked again i was like is this here and i poke other teeth and just be like is this her no this one I'm like have you had any dental work done and she's like, no. And I was like, I think you should go to a dentist. She calls me the next day. She's like, oh, my God, thank you. Dude, I hope you charged 
like a dentist. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, here's your invoice. No, but that but that's the thing. It's like most if you don't know the outer borders of it. And Dude, that's, that's such a sweet thing, man. Because like not many chiropractors, physios, doctors would even go through that process of. I think I was just too scared to get sued. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, because you were, you were in the States then, right? Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> it's just do your due diligence, right? Like, because wow. just like I want to know. It's just kind of like a, it's my own curiosity because it's a case like that is so isolated. Like the the opportunity to have someone in that situation is so limited in your career. Like, you know, someone will go their whole career and not see something like that. Mm-hmm. And like, I've had the whole stroke thing happen where it's like, you walk in and like, you, there's some tests you do that if this is your primary concern, then it was like, oh, you need to go get a, like a MRA, like a magnetic resonance angiogram. Mm-hmm. And I've had people be like, oh, thanks dog. Like, appreciate well, it. That was, a, yeah, I was having a, a vertebral basilar aneurysm and you just sent me to the clinic. So I appreciate that because I'm not dead. That's fucked. But yeah, but it's like I only know because it's like, well, here's all the things that could cause the pain that you're having from my wheelhouse. So it's none of those things. So I can literally do nothing. I have an informed opinion on where to go. Like, I'm not going to send them a gastroenterologist Mm -hmm. if they're having splitting headaches. It's like, well, probably go to like this clinic and say, you know, these are the symptoms you're having and they'll probably promote this. Make sure you get this test if they're going to do something. Uh, you know, and it, the list goes on. Like, my right shoulder hurts. No, you're actually having a gallbladder attack based off of your blood work. Like, shit like that. But a lot of people just, I, well, I don't know. I don't know what people do. So I don't want to say a lot of people. It's, but it's so like, like you, you look at it through many lenses, right? You're not just looking at it through a, like, you're, you're looking through your lens. And if you can't fix it, you're going to say, okay, like, this is not my wheelhouse. You got you yeah. to gotta refer out. And that's the thing. It's just be very confident with what your wheelhouse is. Like, and that's why I'm such a big proponent of anatomy and biomechanics for coaches because coaches can, they will be the primary point of contact, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's like you said, it's crazy that someone will come to a coach that's it's like, well, they had a three o'clock session. They didn't want to cancel and go to the clinic. And it's kind of your job to be like, well, this is a me thing or this is a someone else thing. Now it's like entirely different skill set to be like, okay, you need to go to, uh, you need to go to a podiatrist versus you need to go to uh, ENT or like an otolaryngologist or you need to go to an internist or you need to do whatever. Mm-hmm. Coaches don't necessarily need to know that, but it's like you need to know when it's not a musculoskeletal thing. And the only way you can do that is by knowing when it is a musculoskeletal thing, mm-hmm. right? So it's like if you want to be good at ruling things out, right? Which is like it makes you very sensitive. So, like, sensitivity and research is good at ruling things out. Specificity is good at ruling things in. You don't necessarily need to be specific. You need to be sensitive. Sensitive to the, like, look, I know, and I'll say, like, I know a lot about the musculoskeletal system. So, when something exists that I can't explain with the musculoskeletal system, I've had some of the best results by, you know, depending on, like, the relationship I have with the client. Shit that was just emotional mm. like i don't know have i told this story before i had like what well, football player i was working with very very high profile and we would work together for months on end every day three four hours a day we were like very switched on and he had this back pain and like i chased down every fucking dark corner of mechanical <laughs> low back pain that you could imagine every case study every man one in a million could be this and we made like this weird marginal nonlinear progress as most progress is. And like, this is a high stakes, high profile, like, you know, 
120 million career earnings kind of guy. And I'm just like, fuck, man. And I kind of got to a point where it's like, I don't think it's anything. And I was treating him and training him. So like there was no stone, like literally no stone unturned. And then I was like, well, I'm confident that now that it's not, it can't be mechanical. And we've made mechanical improvements and we've seen marginal progress, but he still has this pain that's like not allowing him to really, really progress. And then we just started like paying more attention. That kind of freed me up to be like, all right, we'll do the reps and sets. Nothing of this is degenerative or progressive. Mm-hmm. He's been pretty steady. He got like a bit better over the course of the next couple months. That could just be the fact that a couple months has gone by and it has nothing to do with what I've mm-hmm. done. And I was just like, all right, I'm going to start being more sensitive to other contributing factors outside. And then I started like noticing some mornings, like I would go train early. Like I'd go in and train at like five and he'd be there. And like, he's a go-getter. He owned, he owned the gym. And then I was like, wait, what is he? I've noticed like he's here a lot. And then I kind of paid attention to that. And then one day I was like, noticed like bags. I was like, yo, donkey, like you good? It's like, you got the bags under your eyes. Like those Gucci, where'd you get those? And he's like, ah, oh, man, just been like a little tired. I'm like, let me ask you something. You sleeping here? He's like, what do you mean? It's like, are you sleeping in the gym? Dude, I'm getting in here at five to train so I can train your ass later. And you're here. You're not leaving, are you? He's like, you're sleeping. He goes, what do you mean? I was like, tell me you're not sleeping in the back. He goes, yeah, I'm sleeping in the back. He goes, you going through it? He's like, yeah, me and the wife. Wow. Dude, that day, we had we went up in the treatment room. We talked for three and a half hours and just like a straight heart. Talk. One of like the cool, because I mean, he's like, I was a big fan of his, still a fan of his. And we just had like this three hour conversation that we didn't train at all. Mm-hmm. Like literally, we went down, came off treatment room or tra- treatment floor. Or treatment room to the training floor, and we just sat there, empty gym, me and him, and he just like was just because like, well, yeah, he's like, yeah, I've been married and divorced, so he's like, yo, man, like, can I ask you something? I was like, yeah, sure, and we didn't touch a single weight next day. Back pain gone. Isn't that fucked? And this is why, like, when you're coaching humans, they're humans, yeah. right? And like, I, I forget who I was talking about this. I think it was Alessandra. I had her on the podcast, and it's like. No, man, like you need to treat them like an individual human, not like the humans that you trained in the past with your experience. It's like, no, like the person in front of you. And yeah. like once you get to know them as a human, dude, it, it fucking switches everything up. Yeah. And that's a, such a like, like, I think that story is such like a hyperbolic story, right? But like how many people are suffering through pain because they're not expressing their sort of emotional side of stuff, right? Um, not that we're therapists, but like if you just be a human and be kind, like you don't need to have a degree in psychology to understand that a human's hurting. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's, I think you can be more confident in pursuing it when you know that it, there's nothing else you can do. Yeah. Right. So it's like, there, there's absolutely cases where I've had people who were pent up, like come in, I am the trainer. I train them. I know nothing about their life. They speak more than less than two words to me the entire time. We don't know much about each other. It's very transactional in nature. And, you know, they have an issue mechanically. We fix it and their pain goes away. Great. But it's like, I know when it's like, well, there's nothing else I can do. You good? Oh, you're not good. Okay. Let's talk about Mm -hmm. this. Um, Because also too, like if I were to approach, you know, like the, the very reserved guy, like, so man, tell me, tell no, me. No, you can't. Yeah, right. Like it's, and that's a hard part. Like reading a fucking room, 
is such a lost art. It is. Right? Like, I know when to shut the fuck up and say nothing. And I know when I'm, like, inner circle enough with someone to be like, all right, man, like, yo, you think you want to chat? Like, you want to grab coffee? But again, that's, again, that's the intangible connection, relationship building with your clients, right? Like, yeah. It doesn't happen overnight. Like, you have to create, you have to foster that through, like, your branding has to foster that, your communication skills, your nonverbal, like, all these intricacies that we take for granted as humans has to foster that. If not, you're not really doing your job. Yeah, like I'll use a different grading scale of intensity based off my interpretation of someone's personality. Like some people, it's just day-to-day performance measures. Other people, it's uh, RPE. Other people, it's percentage, right? So it's like, well, some, you know, if, if I got a feel guy, which like most athletes are like feel, like I got to feel it. Music's got to be a certain way. Like, you know, then that's what athletics is. Then it's, I'm going to put a bar in their hand for a complex prior to training. If the bar speed looks good and they feel good, we're Go good. Yeah. But, and that'll dictate my, my loading intensity. But if I got one of these like transactional guys, probably going to go percentage based, mm-hmm. right? That's cause they, they're, they're, they're distant like that, or that's how they approach their sport, mm-hmm. right? Like they're very analytical. Like they're very, I, I find like quarterbacks are kind of like this. Like they're always almost like running the numbers of like percentage success of particular route. Like if I throw to this guy, there's probably a low percentage chance of completion, high percentage chance of interception. If I throw to like, they're always weighing out those options. So uh, with someone like that, it's like we're gonna go percentage base. We see tangible progress week over week, so that when he's in the pocket, he's he's trusts his system, right? His system doesn't fail mm-hmm. him. So that the same confidence he gets of hitting a three by three at this percent will give him confidence in being like, no, we're going to go downfield with it because this is the best percentage play. Just like weird shit like that. Whereas you think like a wide receiver would be more like a feel guy? Yeah. Like they feel it. Like it's like they know it's going to. And you see it. Like you see yeah. it when these guys train. It's like music's jamming. Yeah. They're dancing between sets. Yeah. And like if I got a guy who's like, like you know, I, over last summer, like the baby did a freestyle on some radio show and it was like all we listened dude, to. Dude, it was, legit, it was so good. And it was fine. Yeah. And there was one, the one dude who was like, he was traveling a lot over like one of his sponsors and he came back and like everyone else was just, you know, they're just dance and they were all, they were all wide receivers and he just was not having it. I was like, you know, doc, just go sleep it off, man. Like, cause you're, just going, you're not doing anything. Yeah. Right. Cause you're just, you're practicing bad practice. Cause you watch these guys on the field. Like they, they catch the hail Mary, they run it in. They're in the red zone. You know, they put it on the board. What's the first thing they do after they cross that fucking line? It's like, out comes the dance number. Yeah. If I don't see that, it's like, all right, well, go sleep. Go home, right? So, and that's, you can, I I think to a certain degree, you can systematize it, like uh, the understanding or like an assessment of awareness, but the intervention is going to be, the intervention is the intangible. It's like, you know, I when I'm not that I dress different, but like I dress the way I dress when I'm there and it resonates with them. Mm-hmm. Right. Like when the guy shows up with the sneakers <laughs> that they have or that they want, they're like, Oh word. And it's like, that's in. Right. So that like, that's kind of the intangible shit. I feel like people want, or like coaches want to find a system for everything. And the one system that people can't figure out is just the human connection and interaction. Like, you, you like that's that's that like you feel that like you just understand that innately but like, i get it i think the system they don't what they don't understand is themselves yeah right because like i landed in that room because like i know exactly where i'm at mm-hmm. right like so i could because just like with biomechanics it's like i know the outer borders 
of what I know about biomechanics and I start looking at other things outside of like maybe it's maybe it's psychological maybe it's you know maybe it's something to maybe it's visceral maybe it's neurological right like maybe it's something there's maybe someone has a fucking tumor in their brain i don't know i'll tell you one thing for free it's definitely not biomechanical but it's the same thing with like your personality and how that comes through in your branding it's like i know my i know the outer borders of what i'm comfortable with right like if one of the reasons I hated working at Apple is because I had to work, like not had, but I wore corduroys. I came fucking spell corduroy in a polo, I bet. Yeah, like collared shirt. I like wore my glasses. I wore these stupid shoes that were just like these pointy joints. And I was like, ah, oh, for fuck's sakes, like, and that caused me like a ton of anxiety. Like looking back, like that's not me, man. Like I remember purposefully like growing my hair out, like being this sort of you know preppy kind of Silicon Valley to get the job. And, like, that's right around the time I started having, like, crazy anxiety attacks. Because it was my body going, like, hey, man, that's not you, dog. And then, so, like, I would walk into Apple every day and be like, oh. Like, gut-wrenching, just, like, didn't want to be there. Yeah, Yeah, where it's, like, and that's why, you know, in a room like that, it's, I don't, like, buy the shoes or, like, rent the cars or whatever because I... Have to. Think, yeah, it's like, oh, this is dope. Yeah. This is so dope. I love doing this so, shit. So that, that's actually a really good point that I want to pivot on, okay? Because, like, we can talk training all day and, yeah, like, yeah. whatever, right? People can talk training all day. But, like, what was that one defining moment that, that you saw that, that that got you to this part? Like, like do you can you pinpoint one specific moment or two moments in your career that kind of catapulted you into where you are today? Like, is there that one thing that you're like, this is it? Um, it's hard, right? Like... From a pedigree standpoint, like Apple and Stanford were big because mm-hmm. it's like I can say that the world over and everyone's like, wait, what? Like you work where? And I was like, yeah. You just say those two names. And yeah. It's- it's, it's, and so that those are cool like excellence. But as far as like personal development, well, I was OK. I graduated in 2015. So it would have been 2000. Maybe two, I think it was 2016. I had a really bad anxiety attack and I was big dog. Like I was like, I was pushing like 280. Jesus, like, yeah. And I was, I was into competitive powerlifting. Like I was really pushing it on like the strength sports side. So I was working at, I was working at Stanford. I was working at Apple. It was the morning of my birthday. So June 10th, I want to say it was 2016. And I was eating breakfast. It was a plate of like just five eggs and it took up like literally the entire <laughs> And I, cause I remember just staring at it. And like, I was, my eyes were open, but I couldn't see anything. Like everything was black and like started sweating for a few. I had no idea what the fuck was going on. It was like two minutes long. And I was like, and I never had, like, I didn't, you know, I was in school mm-hmm. for fucking like nine years or whatever the math is on that, eight years, seven years. And so you're always kind of stressed. Like I just wrote exams all the time and never slept and was always like just trying to study and train, study and train, study and train. So I was like, I never really recognized it as a problem. And not that like, uh, yeah, I guess it turned into a problem when you're in the hospital. But uh, I was just like, oh, this is just what grad school is. Until one day I was like, well, hold on. Like this is pathological. Like this is like, I thought I was dead. And so it like came to... And I like there was literally like a quarter inch of sweat on top of my eggs. And I was like, I'm Fuck. like that was not okay. Yeah. So I one of my clients is the head cardiothoracic surgeon at Stanford, and I called him. I was like, Paul, like, dude, I don't know what just happened, but like, I thought I was gonna die. Like, I thought I don't know what having a heart attack feels like. He's like, get your ass in here right now. 
Meets me at the doors of Stanford Hospital, rushes me past the front desk. I don't got fucking health insurance. So Paul was just hooking it up. I got a 16 lead EKG on the conference table outside of the president's office. So the president of Stanford University Hospital walks out, and I'm just sitting it laid out on the table, and he's got setting up all these leads. He's like, okay, that looks good. And the president's like, Paul, what are you doing? He's like, that's fine. I was like, okay, go down on to like into the trauma ward where he works, grabs a, an echocardiogram machine off of the floor, brings it into like like the fellow's sleeping quarters. So like when you're a resident right. at Stanford, like you're there, you know, someone's got to be there in the middle of the night. And so in this, there was like these bunk beds in this room and he's like, take your shirt off, lay down. Someone's sleeping on the bunk bed above and Paul does this echo and it all checks out. He's like, dude, like this is, I don't know what, I don't know what your issue was, but similar to the way I look at biomechanics, he goes, it's not a heart issue. Like I know hearts, like the fucking, you know, I stand for like I fucking, this is what I know. He's like, I wish I could actually take a picture of this and submit it because this is like textbook what an athlete's heart should look like. I was like, oh, fuck yeah, but, but, fuck a, yeah. a plus on that one. But also least. like, why, why am yeah. I here? Right, and we had another client who was the head of clinical psychiatry, who he knew, like we both knew, and he was just like, "Go talk to Catherine." And I was like, "Okay," like I'm, I've seen her later on today, so I was like, "Okay, cool." Like he's confident it's not a heart thing, and I went to Catherine, and, just, and she knew a lot about me at that point, and she was like, "No, it sounds like you had an anxiety attack." She's like, "You good? Like, what are you doing that you don't want to do?" And I was like, "Well, <laughs> I'm." everything right at that point it was literally everything because i was wearing you know i'd go to apple i'd shine my shoes i'd put this on i'd like you know i was looking down the barrel of this deal of like going to australia and like being a kept you know person under someone else's dime so like most things in my life i was doing i didn't want to do and then now like that so that was a huge inflection point towards like all right i know what i don't want to do now starts like well, what do i want to do right so mm-hmm. it's like all right we'll scrap all that shit go back to zero don't collect 200 dollars. and so then that was like started living in my car and then you know then moved out of california and then traveled and then through that process so i would say like the big inflection point was like oh you're almost gonna die but here's the thing is like i don't it's almost it's easy for it's easier for me to go down that path because i didn't have a choice but I don't think that most people need to take it to the point where they're almost dead. Thank you for saying that, right? right? Because like I resonate with your story, not because I had an anxiety attack, it's because my rock bottom wasn't sweating on a pile of eggs, thank God, like right. thankfully, yeah. right? It, it was lost 90% of my revenues. I had broken up with my ex. I had moved in back with my parents. And I'm like, I don't want to live this life of sweat, fitness, and performance anymore. Let right. me go through this rebrand. That, yeah. that, that's that's what, and right? that's such as and that's the thing that that to me is such a more admirable pursuit because it's like I think mine was like I got lucky that I just didn't die yeah. right and it's like anyone would anyone would make take major inventory of their life if they almost lost it I think the smarter and harder thing to do is to not have it forced upon you, but force it on yourself. Like, that's the thing. Like, I did it because, like, oh, what would you recommend? I was like, probably not the way I did it. Like, smarten up and start looking for these signals before you're almost dead. And it's pretty crazy that we have to keep reminding people and ourselves that you should always chase what it is that you want out of your life and be yourself. And, like, all these cliche things that we always talk about, it's funny how in 2021 we still have to continue saying that. But it seems like there's a lot of shit that people aren't, getting out of life and and like it's like they it's like 
they're they're waiting for that rock bottom to hit even subconsciously before they can actually make a, a decision about where they want to go in their life it's such a weird thing for me yeah i just think it's we both kind of whether directly or indirectly it's figuring out what you don't want to do and i think a lot of people do nothing i think that's the problem is mm. a lot of people do nothing until they think they're going to find the thing they like so no no Go do all the things. If you're self-aware and well-adapted like you were, you'll be able to recognize the signals that you don't like this stuff before it mm. takes you to your knees. Or if you're maladapted like me, <laughs> you know, Tebow it for two seconds and then figure your shit out and then go. But I think most people just idle. Like one of my favorite quotes is from this book called Walden. It's like a Henry, uh, Henry Thoreau book. It was recommended to me by my friend John Hollier. And there's a quote in the book that's it goes, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. Which when I read that, I just think about everyone waiting and they're just like they're just idling. They're not doing anything because they're afraid of doing something wrong. It's like, no, 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 that's perfect because it's one less thing that you will do before you do the thing that you like to do. Mm. Right. So I think the takeaway isn't go do what you like per se. It's like literally go fucking do, do everything. Anything. Yeah. Go bag groceries. And then realize, oh, oh shit, I, I knew I wasn't going to like it, but god damn. Because then it creates an awareness around the signs of the things that you don't like. Because I think a lot of people get stuck not doing anything. They do something convincing themselves that it's what they like to do. But they have no frame of reference to being like, oh, this is how I feel when I do something I don't like. Like I bag groceries for days. Like, this is dumb. Oh, okay. I'm gonna fucking not do this. And I, but what made this dumb? It was inane. It was mind numbing. It was it was uh, it was too repetitive. Was like, okay, great. So we don't want to do repetitive things. Okay. Well, what's dynamic? Oh, you know what? I did like the fact that it was repetitive. I just hated having to deal with a cashier. It's like, okay. Well, you so working. So these are all things that you can collect and awareness to collect, and then just sort of just shape the thing you want to do. Mm. Like, and that's why I have a difficult time when people ask me what I do. It's probably easier to tell you what I don't do because like, I don't know, like some days I do this stuff on a computer. Some days I do this stuff and come chat yeah. with you. Some yeah. days I'm fucking on airplanes all the time. And then, but I think that's the biggest thing is most people just idle and go, I'm going to wait for the right thing. Oh, I like what he's doing. It's like, no, but it's not about that. It's about what do you not like to do? And then from there, reverse engineer attributes of, of what you do like to do. That's a good point. Cause people, could people sit idle they're trying to figure out what they want to do and they try to look at others to emulate, okay, like which one of these three items would I want to yeah. be? Door number one, two, or three. Right? And it's like, no, 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 no. You got to figure, like, make a door number four, like, make your own door. Yeah. Right? And, like, figure that out. And, like, you got to go through some shit. And I think that's one, like, I think that's why that podcast we did for RX Radio yeah. resonated with so many coaches is that every coach goes into fitness with the same thing and, and like, they don't create their own want out of it. I think a lot of it, like, I'm a big language guy. I think the create and build are the wrong ways to look at it because it's already there, right? Like, I always think there's a quote by Michelangelo, or not Michelangelo, Da Vinci, when he made David, and he's like, beauty is in the purgation of superfluidities, which means, like, look, it was just a giant rock, mm. and I just went in, and it was already there. Like, it wasn't not. It wasn't like he, he, he created it and then, like, molded it. It's like he sculpted it. So, like, that's kind of it. And, like, when you go and you bag groceries... You're just chipping away at this rock. And then when you do enough of shit, honestly, when you do enough shit you don't want to do, and you can start to see how this takes shape, you're just left with what you want to do, mm. right? And that's how I look at like figuring out like aptitude for things. It's like, well, it's what you want to do 
is going to be a byproduct of you just chipping away and just being like, okay, well, I bagged groceries and then I sold cars and then I did this and then I did that. And, you know, maybe sometimes it's just one foul swoop. Like, you know, you work a job and immediately the thing Mm -hmm. takes shape. But for me, it was like, I had to do a ton of shit, but now I'm just left with this weird amorphous thing that I think is really cool that doesn't have a shape that resembles anything, right? Because I do a bunch of different shit based off of like just sculpting away rather than building up. And I think a lot of times people are looking at like other people, like you said, door one, door two, door three, like think of those as three statues. It's like, oh, I want to build it. It's like none of those were like formed with clay. They were all whittled down from something. Mm-hmm. So you can't rebuild that. There's no like th- three magic steps to getting this or there's no like formula to achieve yeah. that because I'm sure if he tried to recreate that uh, Da Vinci, Da Vinci, right? He, yeah. uh, he would have came out with another David. Right. Was it David? No. What, what no. Did so he do? yeah, he made Michelangelo. Yeah, Michelangelo's yeah, yeah, David. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Right, but like. Sorry, Michelangelo, not Da Vinci. What am I saying? Yeah, Michelangelo. Uh, if he would have done another David, guaranteed it would have been different. Well, yeah, because different rocks, different hammers. Right. right? So like, that's a re- that's a dude. That's that's gonna be somehow the fucking focal point of this of this. Yeah, um, I just think, I mean, because like, I think people who listen to, and I'm, I still do it because like I can infer from other people's experience like oh that'd be really cool i like that or that would suck i don't like that it's like okay what what specifically did you not like it's like you didn't like this 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 and this like okay then those are things that are uh you know they're those are things that are creative it's like you know that's one of the biggest differences between me and you like you're really creative Mm -hmm. i'm not i look at this room and this is crazy to me like i could (laughs) never i could maybe put the wood on the walls and that's the only thing i could come up with after like hours of scrolling through Pinterest, Pinterest yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Black recycled wood wall, and that's what I would come up with. But it's like, okay, I, so I don't do creativity in that sense. Cool. And then I like I walk in here, and I love being here because it's you. Like this yeah. is so you. Yeah. And it's like you walk into our studio, and it's like, ah, oh, this is this is me. Yeah. Right. So it's and like I don't. I look at this and go. Like imagine, this, imagine if you walked in here and I had a bunch of like bodybuilder photos in here. So you would have been like, "What the fuck, dude? Like, so I'm I'm getting out of here." Yeah, and that's <laughs> the thing because just I think people just as like I didn't resonate with myself, and that seemed to be a big divide that causes a lot of anxiety for me. If you're in a space that the person who owns the space it doesn't vibe with them, that doesn't vibe with you, and you want to get out of there, mm-hmm. right? And that could be you know, a physical space or it could be a digital space, right? So like figuring out what you don't like. And that's always like whenever I've done what, because I'm not creative, whenever I do website projects or like I'm developing a new website or something, I don't go to websites anymore as inspiration and send it to people. I send them shit that I don't like. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, most of the designers I work with know me. And so I send them a collection of like negative, like negative inspiration so I just send them websites that are trash. Like, I, I just don't like this. I'm not creative. I don't know. But I know that that process of, like, if you know me and I can draw a border of all the shit that I don't like, what's going to be left is going to be that David, right? So that's sort of how I approach it is, like, I don't want to go, I really like this guy's website. I don't. I really like door one, door two, door three. I really like this sculptor, this sculptor, David. It's like, I fucking hate this shit. I hate when websites do this dumb thing. Don't, like... I don't want like a pop-up to come in. That's mm-hmm. fucking, it's just so annoying because I'm trying to scroll and I'm trying to hit the X and then I click the thing and I'm, like, I'm out. 
Because I don't. I want people that think like that. Mm. Like, ooh, I've signed up for this. Play, uh, uh, why was it here at the website again? So it's like, oh, fuck, it's so stupid. But I don't go like, hmm, I really like how they have like this hero banner at the top right. and this font. I just look for stuff I don't like because that illuminates the outer borders. And then whatever's left, is, like here's my copy, here's my content, here's what I need to sell or whatever. Here's what I hate. Go. Sculpt me a website. Don't build me a website. Yeah, that's smart, dude. That's like, so when I went through my design stuff, um, actually, I'm going to have my brand guy Sick. come down from Toronto and we're actually do a podcast. Because he just went through a rebrand. So he went from uh, Bren, uh, Lee Brennan Design Co. Yeah. to now Sunday Row. So he went through a rebrand. So he's actually going to come down and we're going like, to like fucking chat about like actual branding. Because like we, we talk about it, but like he's the legit expert in it. So yeah, yeah. it'll be good to have him on the cast. But like when, when we were doing the, the our website, He's like, uh, here are like six or seven different websites. Which one do you like? I'm like, I don't like any of them, yeah. right? Because it's like, I, I don't want to emulate any of these, right? I'm like, yeah, like certain things are cool, some certain elements, but I'm like, just like, just from scratch, do it from scratch. Uh, I don't want any template, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, and, and it came out fucking super sweet. And you've done so many of them now. Oh my God. Dude, I, I've done them all myself through Wix in the past, yeah. right? Because I don't have the budget to fucking have Same. thousands of dollars spent on websites. But like, because I've done so much of them, and like I've I've rebranded so many times, even just within the ten years of owning Sweat, yeah. it's like I don't like that. I don't like this. I tried this because I thought it was gonna help. Nope. Okay. And then it's like now it's like what's left? This wallpaper. Yeah. Honestly, this wallpaper is the visual representation of the brand. Yeah. And it's me because like the rose is from Windsor. Like you know, lift heavy. Like all the like fucking skull. Like it's it's me. Yeah. That's it. Done. Like this is it. If somebody asked me what the like, what what I'm about. Yeah, no, and, and if you don't get this, great. I, There's more brands out there. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. So that, that that's the cool part. Um, okay, before we, we finish off here, man. Like, so like you're headed to Dubai. Yeah, boo. dude, fuck. Like, your life is so chaotic, and like part of me wants to be like, man, like, I wish I could travel. But then the other part of me like, fuck, I don't want to travel. So yeah. like, talk to me about um, like Dubai and like what you're looking forward to, and and like like what do you have coming up in the next several months to a year? Uh, yeah. So moving to Dubai in January. And it's hard because wherever, like, I live in Burlington right now, but it's with the amount of travel I do, I, I think I've been in Burlington for the total of three months in the last year. So Dubai will be similar to that. Um, I'll probably spend a little bit more time based there than, than I did based out of Toronto. But I think I'm looking forward to, I don't know if downtime is the right word, but it'll be a different kind of work. Yeah, because like now in the studio, like it's very hands on, um, it, but it's very I don't want to say stale, but I go into the gym and I know everyone. Right. And I go to the gym and everyone knows me. Not, not just because I'm there all the time. Right. Like no different than anyone who walks mm -hmm. into their their, you know, their their office big box or, gym yeah, or yeah. Their office. Yeah. 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 So like that, that comfort, like I'm very comfortable in my routine right now. Like I get up. It's very like my days, which is has been great because like it matches the ebbs and flows of like the work that I have to get done. And I've had this before. Like I lived in in the last three years, I lived in Australia for six months, Miami for eight months, and now I'll live in Dubai for probably like eight months to a year. And I just know now like these cycles that come with relocation, inspiration, mm -hmm. the work and like the creativity that comes with that. So for me, it's you know really going to be business focused because one thing that's super helpful for me is actually time zones. Yeah. So obviously, like Dubai is the most starkly different place that I've, I have lived in the last four or five years, 
but uh, the time zone is really helpful for me on a business sense to be able to like, you know, I'm going to be um, about uh, eight hours, seven mm-hmm. hours ahead, seven, eight hours ahead. So which means when I wake up in the morning, I don't have the onslaught of emails or DMs or yeah, yeah, or right. So I can, you know, I can kind of recapture my morning for bigger projects, more writing, brand direction stuff, whatever. Um, where I'm not bogged down by like, okay, you know, I got to do, you know, I, I wake up at 4 a.m. now so I can get some writing done and then get to my emails before anyone else wakes up. Where there it's like, well, now I can, I can have that time back to do something else. So, um, you know, Dubai will be sort of where I, I'm going to, we're writing right now, like the Prescript CPT course. Mm. So Prescript will be able to, um, have people certified as personal trainers so legit it'll be fun so like that's going to be my big project that i want to come out of my time in dubai is just take that time to sort of like away from you know the familiarity of everything and just kind of spend some time really ironing out what i want that that finished product to look like and bringing that to life by the end of next year so that's really going to be my major project uh, basically, that and the level two manual are going to be like what I dedicate the whole year to. Um, so by the end of next year, the goal is to have the prescript CPT course kind of be our open mouth of the funnel or like the you know raw materials part of the supply chain. Have L1, L2. We have a programming course that's coming out next year. Barbell should be released in February. Um, we have a course specifically on breathing. Um, and then we'll hopefully have what's uh, and we have the weightlifting course, so we nice. should have six courses in circulation. And then we're looking at um, with the help of uh, so I'm not going to mention his name yet, but we're looking at branching into with a collaboration into the nutrition side as well, yeah. which will be super exciting. Um, so that's really it, man. Just like be able to open up some time in my schedule, just like a bit of I don't want to say distance, but. It's almost like you need that time to step away from the, like the day to day because yeah. like your day to day was go to pure, go in the office, do your work. And like, it's like from there from like, what, like 5 a.m. to 7 p.m. or whatever, like yeah. you're just there all day. Right. And I, I can kind of understand that from this. And that's why like, I always renovate. I always put new shit because it's like I hate being stale. Right. Yeah. So it, with me, it's the nice thing is it's forcing me to do six months worth of content because yeah. I won't be back in Toronto until like late June this year. So it also makes me wonder, and it's almost like a Grant Cardone kind of like, which is kind of cringy, but like, <laughs> well, if I could do that, if I could do six months of content in 30 days, like six, you know, 30 podcasts, 30 plus right. podcasts, why haven't I been doing that? Right. Right. So it's like th- that, that has been like an enlightening thought process for me so that when I go to Dubai, I'm definitely going to have like this, not an accelerated timeline, but just like a belief that I can get a lot more work well, and done. Like, and, and why not, right? Like right. you're there. You know, it's not like you have anything to really take care of other than you and Tess. And like you're just like you work, yeah. right? Like and you're in a pretty sweet spot where it's like it's always sunny. It's always warm. Yeah. Fuck, like. Yeah, so that's the plan. But, uh, but we'll come back next year. We'll make sure that like I follow through on all this. Dude, this will be like so, my accountability. It's just funny, man. Well, I, it, it is because the first time you were on, it was your first podcast. Yeah. Back in like, what, 2016, 2017, whatever right. it was, which is fucked. I didn't even know who you were then. Yeah. Um, you're on here five years later. 
dude, man, five years from now, you're going to be fucking owning. Or see, or we'll be doing this from a prison cell. <laughs> One of the two. I'm, well, dude, I'm, hope, I'm hoping I'm still here in five years doing the podcast because I shouldn't have let it go last time, but, yeah. but whatever. But. Hey, man, everything happens for no, a reason. It's been sweet. Uh, if you want to check out Jordan, he's at the muscle doc on Instagram, the underscore muscle, muscle underscore, underscore yep. doc. Um, you can visit prescript. So it's pre dash script.com yep. for all of his courses. Uh, dude, this has been a blast, man. Always. Dude, I appreciate you coming down here and doing the cast. Anytime. Uh, you can catch this on Spotify and YouTube, uh, Rebel Radio. Uh, you can catch this episode in probably a couple weeks. Well, you're going to listen to it now, so not like today. You're going to yeah, listen to it. <laughs> uh, but we drop a cast every Thursday. Um, tune in. And uh, as always, much love. Keep raging. Peace. Thanks, dude.